from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went, and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
one of the most beautiful hymns of the church that tells a story that Andrew just read for us. A story that is separate for us, uh, before us, on this Sunday each and every year, this Transfiguration Sunday. Alongside of it is a text from the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses who were talking to Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, "Uh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we may see you in a different light, that we may hear you in a different way, that we could even be surprised challenged, changed by what we see and hear. Even as we make preparations for the Lenten journey ahead, would you show up and reveal yourself to us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I was a a preteen, I remember how interested I was uh, to see where my parents worked. My father was a a mid-level salesman for a company called Procter & Schwartz. They manufactured and and sold drying systems for processing chemicals and and synthetics and pharmaceuticals and even food. I thought it was super cool that the cereal I ate every morning was dried by one of the machines that my father sold. Uh, His office was in the northwest suburbs of Philadelphia. My mother worked for E.F. Hutton, which eventually became uh, Lehman Brothers, and many of us know what happened to them in 2008. But when she worked for them, her office was in Center City, Philadelphia, in a high-rise called the Darth Vader Building because it was tall and shiny and completely and totally black. It was at 16th at Market Streets, right in the heart of the city. And while I only got a chance on on a few occasions to visit their places of employment, I remember those experiences I had uh, with a, a level of fondness. Because when you're a kid, when you're a kid and you only see your parents in the context of your home, and when you only know them as mom and dad, something expands 
and enlarges in your mind as you see them relate to other people, as you witness them doing meaningful work, as you watch them take on important responsibilities that have absolutely nothing to do with you. It's completely and totally outside of your orbit. So in retrospect, what intrigued me wasn't so much the physical locations of where they worked, but what intrigued me was who they were in those contexts. In a way, when I visited them, I got to see more of who they were as people, not just as my parents, but I got to see them more as human beings. A big part of them, which I wasn't regularly privy to, uh, was revealed to me. I got to see an aspect of their life which I didn't often get to see, and that made me feel closer to them. It created a, a deeper level of intimacy because they were willing to reveal more of who they were. As a kid, I wouldn't have had the, the language I just used, but now I can say even as it was such a, a simple act of them bringing me to their workplaces, that act of them taking me to work was actually an expression of their love for me. I wanted to see more of who they were, and they were willing to show me. I got to see them in a completely and totally different light that created a deeper connection between us. Well, you all know that today is, is Valentine's Day and romance and intimacy and friendship all correspond to what I've just described. When you're starting a relationship, we know that the way it will grow, we also know this is the way it might end, but we're going to keep it on the positive. The way it might grow is through self-revelation. The way it grows is through self-disclosure. When you let somebody else in, when you reveal yourself to them, when you share your feelings, when you share your passions and your interests, when you share your faith, when you share what you care about, when you share your vision and your hope, when you share the good stories and the traumatic stories that have marked and shaped your life, when you do that in a relationship, any relationship, intimacy grows. And intimacy will continue to grow as we risk sharing more of who we are and the other risks sharing more of who they are with us. I remember when Katie, my wife, and I were, were dating, she invited me to a Thursday night Bible study that her retired Baptist pastor grandfather led with about 12 seniors, many of them octogenarians, people in their 80s. We were in our mid-20s at the time, and this wasn't usual for a mid-20-something to be attending a Bible study on a Thursday night with this particular cohort. But Katie had committed to it each and every week. And as we started to date, she invited me to attend. And the reason she invited me to attend is because she wanted me to meet somebody she cared about and people that she cared about. She wanted to invite me to see more of who she was and how important her faith was to her. 
And I got to see in real time Katie love on and relate to that group of people. And what it actually did was grow my love for her. As she revealed more of herself to me, our intimacy grew. She wanted me to see her in a different light, which deepened our connection. Well, the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, with all of its rich and mysterious theological meaning and depth, is really a story of self-disclosure. It's really a story of self-revelation, which makes it a story of love. What is disclosed is, is not just for the eyes and the ears of Peter, James, and John, but for all of us who dare to pay attention to this story that shows up right in the middle of Mark's gospel. For those of us who have ears to hear and eyes to see, I would suggest that this act of self-disclosure, this act of self-revelation from Jesus should be received as an expression of God's love for us, that God wants us to see more of who God is. Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh, the very Word of God, who is God incarnate, through divine agency and divine will, reveals more of who he is to the ones he loves. He wants them and he wants us to see him in a different light. He wants us to see him with Moses and Elijah. He wants us to know that his ministry has continuity with the law and the prophets. He wants us to hear the voice that comes from heaven. This is my son. The beloved, listen to him. He wants us to remember his baptism. And with a radiant white light, he foreshadows his own glorious resurrection. This is an astounding and powerful and beautiful moment of self-revelation. And it's motivated by love. God reveals God's self to us in this way to deepen our connection with God so that we would come to know more of God, more of Jesus Christ, more of the Holy Spirit, more of who God is. And so we, along with Peter, James, and John, have this opportunity today to see Jesus in a different light to see him in a different way. And so I, I, I wonder, no matter the circumstances of your life, no matter where you find yourself right now, on a mountaintop or uh, in the valley, how is Christ wanting you to see him differently? How is Christ wanting you to see him differently? What does Christ want you to know of him in these days? What is being revealed to you that you haven't seen yet or you haven't heard yet or perhaps what you have refused to see of him or what you've refused to hear him speak? How might you see Jesus in a different light in the living of your days right now? A component of, of this text that, that's really interesting to me 
is how one of Peter's first instincts, remember Mark tells us that they were afraid and they didn't know what to do. So he kind of leans into a basic instinct of his. It's a religious instinct. What he does is that he marks that moment or he wants to mark that moment as sacred, right? He wants to mark time and space as sacred and he wants to do it by constructing dwelling places, little tabernacles, little churches, little worship dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And while there are different ways of interpreting Peter's motives here, one interpretation that's always intrigued me was the way in which he wanted to stay on the mountain. Right, to build these dwelling places, to mark that space and that time as sacred, infers to us that he plans on dwelling there, that he plans on staying there for some time. He wanted to dwell in the holiness and the sacredness of that moment, and who could blame him? But Mark tells us that that moment ends abruptly and that the story moves down the mountain as the disciples follow Jesus. Jesus will call him, call them rather, to follow him as they make their way to Jerusalem. This is why this text appears on the Sunday before the season of Lent, because it's all about the beginning of that journey, a journey that will take Jesus to the cross. And so if we're gonna see Jesus, if we're gonna set ourselves up to see Jesus in a different light, we have to acknowledge that we are sometimes like Peter, right? That we often assume we know or discern or understand who God already is and what God wants. Naturally, what God wants is for me to build dwellings, to mark this time as sacred and this space as holy. Right? It, it, it translates into our day-to-day -day living and our day-to-day -day faith. So often we show up in faith and in life not as learners or sojourners in the quest to receive God's revelation or God's activity in our lives or in the life of the world, but oftentimes we show up as ones who have already figured it out, who already know what we should do who already understand or who already know all we need to know about God and about what God desires. And we take that certainty. And we take that certainty and we, we look for people and we look for, for voices and we look for communities that affirm what we already think, what we already believe about Jesus or about the world, about who's in and who's out. If we're gonna see Jesus in a different light, if we're gonna put ourselves in a place to see him in a different way, then we have to leave room to be wrong. We have to leave room to be surprised, to be cor corrected, to be critiqued, to be challenged or changed in relationship to what it is we wanna do or what we believe or how we should go. We have to be open to the possibility that what I think doesn't always align with the mind of God and what I want does not always align with the desire of God. Even when I have good intentions, good instincts like the instinct of Peter, there's nothing wrong with marking time. I have to leave room for the possibility 
that Jesus can show himself to me and to this world in a different light, and then I have to act accordingly. Instead of building dwellings, I come down the mountain. I have to be ready to be surprised. I have to be ready to change course. I have to be ready to let go of what I hold on to so that I may be free to hold the very hand of God. Father Greg Boyle is a, is a Jesuit priest. He lives in Los Angeles. He founded a, a ministry called Homeboy Industries. And, and the ministry's mission is to provide hope and training and support to formerly gang-involved and formerly incarcerated men and women, allowing them a moment of self-sufficiency so that they can redirect their lives and become contributing members of the community. And for over 30 years, Father Greg has led this ministry. And during those three decades, the, the tide of gang activity in Los Angeles has turned. The field of reentry services has uh, only enlarged and, and public safety has become more enlightened in ways that would not have been possible without the advocacy of Homeboy Industries and Father Greg's pastoral and prophetic leadership. In one of his books, Barking to the Choir, I love that title, Barking to the Choir, I recommend it to you. He tells this story. He talks about a woman who came to him who was really determined to join his efforts at Homeboy. And she came to him and she said, Father Greg, I have to volunteer with you. I can do nothing else. I have to be a volunteer. Father Greg was intrigued by her compulsion that she needed to volunteer. And so he asked, why is it that she feels so compelled to participate in this work? And she replied quickly, because I believe I have a message for these young people. In other words, I believe I have what these young people actually need to hear. Father Greg responded with a gentleness, but, but also with a strength. He said to her, the minute that you lose that message, come back to us. He said, because we don't point the cursor at some lost soul and, and push the save button. Many volunteers long accustomed to building the orphanage or, or feeding the homeless in a soup kitchen ask me what they're supposed to do, and I always answer wrong question. The right question is, what will happen to me here? What will happen to me here? If we're gonna see Jesus in a different light, we'll have to loosen our grip on our self-righteousness and our finalized and immovable certainty of who Jesus is and only, in our opinion, can be. We not only have to let him come down off the mountain, but we have to get behind him and follow him, for that's what he wants to do. In his autonomy and his freedom, he wants to walk the road of faithfulness and obedience that will eventually lead to the cross, and he asks us to take up our cross and follow him. He asks us to pay attention to his way of service and his way of sacrifice and his way of love. He asks us to see his obedience and to expect something to happen to us when we follow him along the way. 
He invites us to come down from the mountain of self-assurance and self-righteousness and to pay attention to who he is revealing himself to be in this mysterious and difficult journey to the cross and who he will be in the often mysterious and difficult way and journey of life. And so, brothers and sisters in the faith, we embark on this Lenten road. May we be open to what may happen to us along the way. May we loosen our grip on what we want to do and be open to what God is calling us to do. Maybe it's not time to build dwellings. Maybe it's time to come down the mountain and follow him. May we show up in that journey as learners and sojourners who might actually be surprised by what we discover. And may we be ready to see Jesus in a different light, to see what will happen to us when we do. And may his light change us and illumine this way of obedience as we come down off the mountain and journey with him to Jerusalem, even to the cross, even to the empty tomb. Amen.